Okay, so for today, um, being that the topic is on community and discipleship this month, community, family, and discipleship, that's June. Um, yeah, that's what the, the month's going to be about. And so you're going to, I'm going to be preaching this today, and then Brian Wong, the other one, he's going to be sharing and preaching next week on discipleship. Um, yeah, and then for the rest of the month, so the next two, this week and next week is going to be combined, and then the two weeks after that will be uh, separate. But we're doing something special for the fourth week, and I'm still in announcements, but for the fourth week, we are going to be, uh, just for one week, we're going to be promoting everyone. And it's just going to be like one week, so it's not, it's not for good. But it's just, you, like, the 12th graders are going to be visiting Turf, the 9th graders will be in Unicoi, or the, the 12th, the 8th graders will be in Unicoi, and we're going to try and see if the Awana 6th graders can come up to 7th grade. And so, just to give you guys a heads up, so that you guys are ready to welcome in the new coming people. Um, and I think it definitely means a lot if on that week, when you see the new, the incoming freshmen or in, you know, incoming seventh graders, that uh, you can definitely just go out to them and say hi and really um, welcome them. And so just to give you guys a little uh, update. But with that, let me get into the message. And so today... Uh, the message is called The First Community. Basically, I'm going to be going through um, just what the first community, the first church actually looked like. And I thought this was such very applicable to, get to you guys because if we're going to go through community, I don't know how many of you have actually seen um, in the Bible and heard in the Bible what the very first church community looked like. Um, and so... If you have, then great, you'll learn more. If you haven't, then this is actually what it looks like. And I think that's going to be perfect for community money. Um, and so if you have your Bibles with me, you can turn to Acts, Acts 2. Oh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts. You can just turn to Acts 1, actually. Yeah, so I'm basically going to go through the context of Acts 1. The main passage is going to be there, Acts 2, 37 to 47. But I'll start in Acts 1, if I can have you guys quiet down for a little. Okay, so how many of you are familiar with Acts? Who here is, like, familiar with Acts? You know it relatively well. Okay, sounds good. But I'm going to give you guys the context to um, Acts 1 because we're going to Acts 2, but I just want you guys to understand. So Acts actually takes place after the resurrection of Jesus. You guys know, at the end of the Gospels, Jesus resurrects, right, from the dead, and then the Gospels end. I mean, there's the Great Commission, right? Yeah, Matthew ends with the Great Commission. So, after that is Acts. And, um, yeah, so this would be, actually, before that, I think, uh, this is a side note. But I think it's really interesting. I don't know how many of you actually have read Acts, but I would say that is one of the most interesting books. And the reason why is because um, the things that happen in this book, in Acts, they, they actually happen in real life. I think a lot of times when we read the Bible, we see it as like this fiction book, like it's Harry Potter, you know? It's something that like, it's so crazy that you think it's just this fiction like the Odyssey or any of these, these crazy Avengers. Yeah, and, and the reality is this isn't 
this isn't fiction. This isn't something that, that, was, that was like made up. This actually happened. And uh, if you need more proof, you can talk to us after. We'll show you. Um, but I think if you realize that, then you'll see that Acts is actually really interesting. Because these people are just, are people, are humans like us. And God is working through them. And so I definitely think if you guys haven't read Acts, it's something that you guys definitely should. So um, starting in Acts 1, here, here's a little brief context to um, right after the resurrection. So first, Jesus rises from the dead. You know, he dies on the cross, he rises from the dead, and he appears to the disciples. And that ends the Gospels. And then in Acts 1, it says that he stays for 40 days with the disciples. So you can actually go through Acts 1 and see that. I mean, those verses, I put it up there. He stays with them for 40 days, and then he promises that the Holy Spirit will come after he ascends. And then after, or around then, he commands them to go out and share the good news. And, uh, and then he, he ascends. He ascends to heaven to be with God. And then at the end of Acts 1, you see they take the 12th disciple to replace Judas. His name is Matthias. And so that's a little brief overview of Acts 1. It's pretty simple, pretty short. Um, and then we get into Acts 2. So in Acts 2, it says the day of Pentecost has arrived. You can actually see that that's the first line of, the, of chapter 2. And that basically means the day that the Holy Spirit came down. And so if you hear Pentecost, it generally means Holy Spirit. So the day, of, and if you remember from Acts 1, let me turn back. It said that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come after he ascends. So, let me turn that off. So, so Pentecost is the day that the Holy Spirit comes down. And if you read through Acts 2, it's actually extremely interesting. Like, just look with me. So in verse, verse 3, it says, and divided, as, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And so I just want you to think about that. So first there's this huge sound like a rushing wind. And then, if you look in verse 3, it says, tongues of fire appear and they just rest on them. I don't even know if you can picture that. Like, just think of it. Like, this tongue of fire just comes down and sits on your shoulder. I don't know where it sits, but... <laughs> like, this actually happened, but I, I don't even know how to imagine that. And so if you keep reading, it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, or <coughs> speak in tongues and were hearing their own language. And so if you're going through Acts 2 with me right now, you can actually see this. It's super cool. It's really, like... I don't know how you can even make this stuff up. It's so crazy. And then, so the people are, I don't know if you guys, if you had tongues on your, on your uh, shoulder and you started, people started speaking in, tongue, in other languages, like I don't know how tripped out you'd be or how, you know, amazed you'd be. So everyone is basically, is basically amazed. They don't know what's going on. And so Peter gets up there Peter, the, the main or the, the leader of the disciples, he stands up there and he tells them that this is actually one of the prophecies that Joel, Joel had. And so if, you're, if you go to verse 17, he tells that the tongues are actually a prophecy from Joel. And then he tells them in verse 22 that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did in your midst. That this Jesus, that they killed him. 
And so it basically goes from these wonders to Jesus explaining that these wonders are a prophecy. And then he comes to them and he said, you guys killed Jesus. And so I don't know how many things, like how crazy, but that's, that's like the craziest stuff. That's so crazy. It's just thing, like event after event after event. They're being amazed. And then he accuses them and says, you guys killed Jesus. And then he brings up David. And these are Jews. So he's speaking to Jews, and he's saying that this is David's Lord. The Jews love David. The Jews respect David. And Jesus is the Lord of David. And so, I don't know what type of atmosphere you would imagine at this time for the Jews. But I definitely think it'd be one of, like, quiet, like, we just killed our Lord, the God, the Lord of David. And so all the Jews would probably be exactly how you guys are right now, just quiet, not sure what to do. And then verse 37, um, and I'm just going to start reading from the text, so if you have your Bibles, it'll also be up there, but you can follow along with me. Verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And just a, to pause a, real, a little real quickly. It says they were cut to the heart. They were pierced in the heart. And why were they cut to the heart? Because they realized that they had killed Jesus. They killed their Messiah. See, these Jews, they were waiting for Jesus for thousands of years. And they just killed him. Like the guy that was prophesied and promised to be their hope, they killed him. And so they were cut to the heart and they asked, what shall we do? Because you just killed your hope. You killed, you killed the guy who was supposed to come down and save you. Um, but it turns out that Jesus was meant to be killed. And so let me continue in verse 38. And what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Be saved from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day around 3,000 souls. And this is how the first church begins. The 3,000 souls is the first church. And that was just a really big intro to get into um, what we're going to be talking about. But I thought it was really important to go through that because, um, yeah, this is the first church. And so um, let me read with you guys Acts 2, 42 to 47. And this is where we get into fellowship. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all 
as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so what you see right here is the result of Peter's preaching after the wonders. That Peter's preaching was able to pierce their heart so much that they repented, believed in Jesus, and that they fellowshiped. And if you looked, if you were paying attention in verse 42 to 47, this isn't just, you know, your average fellowship that you see every day. This is genuine fellowship. This is crazy fellowship. I'm sorry, move that up. But If you look at this, what does it even say? It's, what does it say about their fellowship? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. In verse 44, all who believed had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. And then in verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And so, literally, they go from non-believers to ones who are willing to devote themselves to the teaching, ones who are willing to, verse 45, sell their possessions and belongings and giving to those who have need. And day by day, attending the temple. And so I, I don't know how you feel when you read it, but when I see this, I see a church that truly is convicted by Peter's preaching. So much that they're willing to just give basically everything. Basically day by day, every day they're going to the temple, they're learning, and they're giving all their possessions. They're giving everything they have. You know, their life no longer became about their job in Israel or their job or their work. It became about the fellowship. It became about the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, meaning, you know, communion when you break bread, eating together with the believers. Their life became about this. In verse 45, it says they were selling their possessions and giving to those that need. Likely because many of the people who became Christian probably lost a lot of their stuff. They were probably persecuted. They may have lost all their stuff. And so other believers who didn't lose it were saying, you know, I'm willing to sell everything so that these other believers can eat, so these other believers can learn more about God, so these other believers can devote themselves to teaching also, to the apostles' teaching also. And so they, the, the preaching was so strong that they were willing to give up everything and start this new church. You know, every, it says every day, sorry, every day they went to the temple, day by day, breaking bread, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. You know, they, they gave up all their possessions, they, or not, they gave up, they, they were willing to give up their possessions and break bread. I mean, they probably had nicer things before, but they didn't care about it anymore because they were breaking bread with other believers and they were praising God. And that's, and after that, it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
And so this is the picture of the first church. I want you guys to think about it. This is the picture of the first church. And just think, does it, how does it compare to now? And um, I want to be careful, too, because, you know, this is, it's not always safe to just see what the disciples did or see what, what happened in the Bible and compare it to now. It's not always safe to just say, oh, you know, because it happened like this in the Bible, we have to do it exactly like that. Um, and we, so my question is, are we supposed to copy them? That's, my, that's a legitimate question. Do you guys think we should copy them? Think about it. Should we copy what the first believers did? You know, because it never, Peter never says they had to do it like this, and it doesn't say right here that they have to do it like this. They just did it. And they were probably listening to the apostles' teachings. But do, are we supposed to copy them? That's the question. Actually, let me, let me take a vote right here. Who thinks we're supposed to copy them? And who thinks we're not supposed to copy them? So who, who thinks we should copy them? Does anyone think we shouldn't copy them? Is that one? That's a legitimate belief. And let me, uh, let me explain. So, wait, where am I? Okay. Should we copy them? There we go. So, let me explain. So when there's a story, when we're reading a story, a narrative passage, and I, I'm assuming you guys know what a narrative passage is. Narrative literature, basically story literature, where it's not instruction. See, we should look to them as an example. But not always, we're not always going to copy them. And that's not, I'm not, that's not my ending point. But I'm just making sure you guys know this. Because if you always look to a disciple and you copy them, then you, know, you might end up like Peter and denying Jesus three times. You're not supposed to do that, right? Or maybe when Peter, in Galatians 2, when he, uh, he only eats with the Jews and breaks unity with the, with the Gentiles, right? And so sometimes in the Bible, when it's a narrative literature... Sometimes we should look to them as an example, as something we can, a possible way to do so. Just to give you guys, you know, the idea that this, I'm not trying to say we're not supposed to copy them, but I'm just trying to be careful. And so my question, so I think we need to study this and say, do we, do we want to copy them? Do we want to not, you know, figure out? And I think the most important thing is context. When we study the context, we should see whether we should follow the example or whether we should not. And I think a big thing in that is looking around the passage, which we did at the beginning. You know, the, uh, the, the followers were listening to Peter's teaching, the apostles' teaching, and that's why they did what they did. And so that's good. That's valid. But another thing we should do is we should look at other verses too. What does the, uh, the Bible say about this? You know, about fellowship, about church? And uh, let me pull up some passages. So the first thing, let me go back to this. The first thing in the side of the church, what it says is they both devoted their lives to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Prayers and breaking bread. And you can see that in the verses if you're, if you're looking through them. 
It says they had believed all things in common. And day by day, they were breaking bread and praising God. And so are we supposed to copy these things? This is what they did at the start of the church. You can look through the verses. I got it straight from the verses. But, so right here, devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. That was the first thing. And uh, if you look through other parts of Scripture, 1 Timothy 4, it says basically a very similar thing. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And so this isn't only found in Acts. This is found in Paul's letters. And then we find also in Acts later that the Bereans were being praised because they received the word and they examined the scriptures. And so they were ones who studied the scriptures too. They devoted themselves to the scriptures and it, and it said they were noble-minded for doing so. And so we can see in the Bible that this, this first picture of being devoted to the apostles' teaching, basically their words and fellowship, is something that is also biblical or is also found with, throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament. It also says they sold their possessions and gave so that all had, they had all in common. And you see in Luke 3.11, whoever has two tunics should share with him who has none. Whoever has food to do likewise. And that's what John the Baptist says when they, um, when they repent of their sins. And 1 John 3.17, you guys can read that. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother, sees his brother in need, how is the love, and does not give, how does the love of God abide in him? And uh, day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread. And so these are all verses just showing that what we see, what we see in, in this text right here is consistent with what we see in the Bible. And so when we ask, should we copy them? To a very high extent, we should listen to them. We should see it as an example. And we should look to it so that we can, uh, we can kind of build our church on this. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, let me show the verses. Breaking bread, giving his body. And so, um, what you see here is that in the Bible, this is consistent with Acts. And so we should copy that model to a certain degree. And I'll get into a little of that. Um, but honestly, I just want to get a feel for the room. Because I don't think I have to prove to you guys that our church should be more like this. I think you guys kind of know that already. I don't know if anyone was really arguing, no, we shouldn't copy that model. I think you guys know about fellowship. You know fellowship is good. I think you guys know community is great. I mean, most of you heard Pastor Eugene, his most famous words, or his most famous line, a lone ranger Christian is a dead Christian. Thank you. And so we, we know we should have fellowship. We know we should have community. And we know that this is a good example of that. But I think when you look in the Bible, right, you guys are reading through the Bible. When you look in the Bible, at least for me, a lot of times, and especially growing up in high school, it was this thing in the Bible is not what I see at church. This thing in the Bible is not what I see in Christians. And I don't know how many of you have that idea, but I feel like that's a common thing around here. 
You look in the Bible and you see the Christians, and you see the disciples, and you're like, man, they're so crazy on fire. Man, they're doing things like this. But when I look around at home or when I look around at church, it's not the same. And so I don't know how many of you have shared that same thought that I've shared. Um, but I think growing up for me, I realized... that maybe part of the reason that the church isn't like this and the Christians around me aren't like this is, is also because I'm not like that. Maybe I'm not similar to the Bible. And so why would I expect the people around me to be similar to the Bible? You know, why would I expect the church to have this fellowship and crazy community if I don't have that, if I'm not pursuing that, if I'm not striving to have the crazy community, if I'm not working hard, And so I think it's important that we need to understand that this call for fellowship is not just, you know, for the weeders. Oh, weeders, go make our church super crazy so we can have this crazy fellowship, awesome fellowship. It's for every one of us. Every single one of us is responsible for fellowship in the church. Every single one of us is responsible for community in the church. And so let me just go through... It's simple. We are all personally responsible. And what does that mean? What should, what, what should we do with that? So you guys know you're responsible for the fellowship. But what does that mean? What did it mean when it said devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship? You know, and I explained this a little earlier, but that could mean reading the Bible because the apostles' words are in the Bible, or God's words himself are in the Bible. And fellowship, fellowshipping could be breaking bread or encouraging each other or reminding each other of what God has done on the cross or reminding each other of how good God is. Um, studying the Bible together, devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And it also says prayer. And you guys know what that looks like, praying for each other. But I think my question to you guys is, Do you guys actually do that? Because I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of times it's pretty hard, or it used to be really hard. It used to be really hard. Especially at church, I would be around Christian brothers and sisters, but rather than spending my time together um, devoted to praying or devoted to encouraging each other or talking about the Bible or talking about some crazy thing I learned and this awesome, how awesome God is, I think a lot of times... I would rather talk about games or I'd rather talk about TV shows or sports, you know, who's, who's in a relationship, all these things. And I thought that was so much easier. And I wanted to talk about those things much more than I wanted to pray for each other, much more than I wanted to fellowship, much more than I wanted to encourage my brothers and sisters. And so if we want to be devoted to fellowship, we have to be Christians who genuinely who genuinely tell each other and encourage each other and pray for each other, your brothers and sisters around you. And I, I mean, I don't have a problem if you talk about those things. But it's just, it's so easy that, to make that the only thing you talk about, the thing you're comfortable talking about. It's so easy to only talk about those things because it's easier. It's hard to go to a brother or sister and say, let me pray for you. It's hard to go to a brother and sister and tell them, and encourage them with the gospel. We're so much more comfortable talking about other things. 
And what about selling your possessions and giving to those, the giving so that all may be in common? And uh, does this mean we have to sell everything or sell our stuff and give to those around us? And I think it goes back to the same point. See, in the previous one, you know, it wasn't about you know, not talking about those things. It's not, like, those things to talk about is fine. But it's about the heart. It's about our heart. Is our heart one that wants to give? Is your heart one of selflessness? Is it one who wants to help others in need? Is it one that when you see people struggling, you know, you give and you help them? Or if someone's not feeling included or welcome, you go talk to them and uh, invite them in? Or maybe they just don't have money for lunch and you buy them food. Is that what your heart wants to do? Because if it is, then that's going to cost you a lot of comforts. That's going to cost you possessions. That's going to cost you um, time. A lot of things of your own. But is that something you guys still do? And uh, the third one. Day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread. Praising God. You know, this one, does this mean that we're supposed to go to church every day? And uh, no, it's, it's not necessarily saying that, but is it about the heart, the heart behind these things? You know, we should be making, we should be making the time to meet up, to fellowship, to praise God and make it a priority in our lives. And so my question is, do you sacrifice your own needs? Do you sacrifice your own personal ambition to further grow in fellowship, or sometimes it's school or your comforts, more important. And I think if you look at community, you'll realize that not only is this about fellowship and encouragement, but a lot of community is about sacrifice. Because... Sometimes community takes sacrifice. It takes giving up your stuff. It takes giving up your time. It takes giving up your own needs. It takes giving up your personal goals, your personal selfish ambitions. And I think if we understand that better, then you'll realize that a lot of the reasons maybe we don't have amazing or great community is because we're not sacrificing that much. And so if we're willing to pursue fellowship, we must have sacrifice. There must be... You, it's not always fun and games. It, a lot of times it is fun. A lot of times there's joy. A lot of times you rejoice because you're fellowshipping, encouraging, loving. But you have to sacrifice comfort sometimes. You know, It's not the most comfortable thing to go over to someone and pray for them. It's not the most comfortable thing to go out of your comfort zone and talk to the people you don't know. We have to have sacrifice if you want good fellowship. And since we're all responsible for that, we all should be sacrificing some stuff so that we can have fellowship. And I think the best encouragement of that is in Philippians 2, and you guys can turn there with me if you want to. Uh, it'll be on the, it'll be on the, the computer or the screen, so you, you don't have to necessarily. But it says, complete my joy, and this is Paul speaking, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And so he's saying this to the believers. Have the same love, be in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but consider in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
And let each of you not look to only his interests, but to the interests of others. And have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was, he was in the form of God, did not count equality and with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form that by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so, in these verses, you see the mindset that we should have with our brothers and sisters, with those around us. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ Jesus. And you guys know that Christ Jesus was not selfish. He was selfless. He did not count equality with God, something to be grasping, emptied himself as a servant. And he humbled himself. And so sometimes if we're seeking community, we're seeking fellowship, this is something we have to have in our minds. It's not always about us. Fellowship's not going to be, you know, I want to hang out with the people who are cool so they can meet my needs so I can have friends. That's not fellowship. Friendship is part of fellowship, but it's not always this super easy, super fun thing. Sometimes it's, it's awkward. Sometimes it's um, weird. You know, if you have to go around and talk to people, like if you're older and you go in and extend and, you know, introduce yourself to a younger brother or sister, that could be awkward. You know, if you're trying to befriend, befriend people and invite them in so that you can hang out with them or, you know, spend time together, that can be strange. It can be awkward. But the reality is that that's part of sacrifice. You know, putting aside your needs for the sake of others. Oops. You know, counting others more significant than yourself. And I think a lot of times we don't reach out for fellowship is because it's kind of scary, right? To fellowship with others. I mean, if you're really close to someone, you connect with them, then that's awesome. But I'm pretty sure none of you say I connect with every person in this room. You know, none of you say I'm comfortable with everyone in this room. And I think that might be part of the reason why we don't go out. It's kind of scary. It's intimidating. When I was in ninth grade, I didn't want to talk to that many people. It was, it was scary. It really was. And so, I think the question is, even though it is scary or even though it's intimidating, is my heart willing to sacrifice that awkwardness, that intimidatingness, that scary part for the sake of fellowship? Because I guarantee that if you're willing to sacrifice this, if you're willing to sacrifice that fear, then the church community is going to grow. It will. Your spiritual life will grow. Brothers and sisters around you will grow. Um, yeah. And I think, I think uh, just going back to when I was in high school, um, actually, how many of you know John Lim? How many of you know he spoke? He spoke like two months ago. Here. You guys know John Lim? Jonathan Lim. He, he brought his wife, Jennifer Lim. Yeah. Yeah, so he came here, and he spoke. He spoke for the relationship series. But I actually, I grew up with John Wim in church, right? And so I remember John Wim. If you know him, he's kind of tall. But back then, people used to agree that he was pretty awkward. So I don't know if he knows I'm saying this. He probably doesn't. But uh, yeah, 
Every, a lot of people, especially me, would go around and be like, dude, John is so awkward. He's this awkward guy. He goes around and he's just smiling. And he's like, you know, he just says hi. Right? But I remember I'd watch him and he would go and talk to everyone. He would go and befriend people. You know, it, was, it wasn't always the most comfortable thing. It wasn't like, this guy's smooth, this guy knows how to talk to people. It was this guy would just go up to you, smile, and say hi. He'd introduce himself. And, and I remember watching John, and I was just like, man, he might not have the most, or people might not think that's the most coolest thing, but he definitely was one of the most friendly guys, and he definitely helped me get involved in the church. And so, I mean, maybe you guys are shy, maybe you guys are scared, but I definitely think if we want to have fellowship, we have to overcome that. We have to sacrifice our own personal needs so that we can build up the church, so that we can devote ourselves to encourage each other, to love each other. And I don't know, just a, a personal example, I'm not sure I was supposed to share this, but like ninth grade, uh, for those of you who are super shy, ninth grade, I'd never talk to anyone. Like, very little. Like, I could not say a word. I remember sitting in class, one class, I remember saying, like, ten words the entire year long of class, high school. And so, like, I was super scared of talking to people. And uh, I, think, I think even the counselors might agree. Like, I was just very shy. I didn't know how to talk to people. And I just remember, um, I became a Christian in ninth grade, and I remember thinking, if I want to have fellowship, if I want to share the gospel, if I want to grow as a Christian... I got to get over my fear. And so I would look to John, like people like John Lynn, and I just try and copy that. I try to copy that example. Like, you have to put away your fear, you have to put away your anxiety, you have to put away uh, feeling awkward or uncomfortable, and just say, like, I want to go and grow in fellowship. And I went from being someone who never said anything to meeting people. And I think now I like to talk to people. Now I'm not that scared to talk to people. Because I've seen a lot of what happens when you, when you really go out and start trying to make grow in Christian fellowship and brothers and meeting people. And, sit, you know. and I think one of the most practical ways that we can do this is just agreeing that we're willing to sacrifice our own comfort for the sake of getting to know each other, for the sake of building fellowship. And other things we can do is, you know, reminding people that we need to go out and reach out. And those of you who are older, you know, reaching out to those who are younger and just talking to people. And if you're younger, too, you can go out to people and just introduce yourself. Say, hi, you know, my name's this. Get to know people and grow in the relationships that you have. And uh, I think one of the other practical ways was just mentioned, you know, halftime. Halftime is legitimately how I got connected to the church. It, it, like, it was. I, I didn't feel connected with, to the church until halftime came up. And, uh, you know, my brother just invited me to halftime, and I didn't know anyone at the time. I was kind of scared. That was back when I didn't talk to people. And John Wynn was there. And he came up to me, and he said hi. And, you know, that's, that's so halftime was was an avenue for me to grow in fellowship, for me to grow in community. And just by going there, I was able to build Christian relationships, and they sustained throughout college. They grew in college, or they sustained in high school, and they grew in high school, and they sustained in college. 
And some of these people that I met, um, church, high school, halftime, I'm still really close to today. They're really strong Christian brothers and sisters, and I, they're really valuable to me today, their friendship. And so sometimes you're going to have you know, easy fellowship. Sometimes fellowship's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be awkward. But I think when you have an opportunity like halftime or mentorship, like that's just, it's just handed to you on a silver platter. Just go out, you know? Just like take that opportunity. It's, it's, it's not only fun, but it's, it's the purpose of fellowship and community. Like you're having fun, but you're also growing together. And that's why I really encourage you guys to go sign up for those things. Halftime for discipleship. Because you're able to grow. You're able to have fellowship. You're able to, you know, build community. And we're all called for community. And, um, yeah. So, if you weren't paying attention at all, it's okay. Because this is the big idea. So, if you weren't paying attention at all, you can just pay attention now and you'll get the idea. It's, it's at the bottom. It says, it's in red. But basically... Yeah, fellowship is a need. It's a command for Christians. Like, you're commanded to have fellowship. You're commanded to have community. It's not something that you can just say, no, I don't want to do it. It's in the Bible. You're commanded to have fellowship. And we're responsible for pursuing it. We're responsible for having fellowship. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's awkward, even if it's weird, it's something that's commanded for us. And so, we need to have fellowship. It's right there. Like, it has to be a priority in our lives. Because if you don't make it a priority, then you're not going to really do it. We have to sacrifice. You have to give up things sometimes. So that you can have fellowship. You need to lay aside selfish ambition. Sometimes even your personal desires and personal goals. And it's a command. We have to do it. But it's not, it's not this scary thing. You know? It's fun. It's, it's growing together. It's building each other up. It's loving each other. It's praying for each other. It's awesome. And it's as simple as going to halftime. It's as simple as, as, uh, as going up to people and saying hi. You know? Or asking to pray for brothers and sisters who might be struggling. That's how simple as it gets. Think about it. You could do it tonight. You could go meet someone tonight. You could go say hi. You could go pray for someone. You can encourage them with the gospel. You can introduce yourself to people. You can sign up for mentorship. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I guess I'll talk about, um, at the beginning it said part one. I'll talk about it a little more in the upcoming weeks, maybe a few weeks from now. Um, but if there is true fellowship, if we get to a place where you are genuinely saying, man, we have such a great fellowship here, and I love, I'm connecting with brothers and sisters and just everyone around me is so encouraging and loving and kind. And, and if we get to that place, or even if we see steps of growth towards that place, it's so joyful. It really is. It's, it's just one of the amazing gifts that God gives us, to have brothers and sisters united and passionate towards God, to have people working together and loving each other and feeling cared for. And so if we get there, there's just so much joy. And I know some of you have fellowship right now, but growing in that, encouraging each other. And so we're, we're trying to use this summer really so that you guys can get to know each other better, so that you can grow and develop deep and genuine friendships and bonding, brotherhood and sisterhood. And yeah, 
So I encourage you guys, you know, go, go say hi to people. We need to have fellowship. That's basically as simple as it gets. And uh, yeah, if you don't know me, you can introduce yourself to me or just other people. And uh, yeah, let, let me pray for us. I'll close it. Dear God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the example that you gave us at the first church in Acts. How they just sacrificed so much so that they could have a community that was devoted to the word, towards encouraging each other, towards building each other up, that was just committed to each other, that they met all the time, day by day, brothers and sisters who were willing to sacrifice and sell the possessions to provide for those in need. Lord, I pray that we'll see that example and we'll desire to have that in our own lives, in our own church, that we'll go out of our comfort zones and sacrifice so that we can meet more people, so that we can love, so that we can grow and we can have a fellowship that cares for each other, and that helps each other, that rejoices with those who rejoice and weeps with those who weep and just comes alongside each other. Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts and convict us in the fact that we need to take fellowship seriously, that we need to go outside our comfort zones, Lord. And so be with us, encourage us with the Holy Spirit, help us to, to just remind each other of what you've done for us, Lord. And uh, I pray you use the uh, opportunities or the events like halftime and mentorship and some of the other things coming up in summer so that we can grow, so that we can truly get to know our brothers and sisters better and live as a united church for your glory, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.